listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. This morning, let me invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. This is where we are going to pick back up on our study of this uh, beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians in which we have recorded for us God's word for us in reference to living in many ways in the secular world that we live in. And, uh, and here we come now to uh, close to the conclusion, we're kind of entering the conclusion of this book, but I would like to read to us a few verses uh, in chapter 4 beginning in verse 10 and through verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Would you join me as I ask God to help us to understand this text? Father, Lord, I need you today. I need you to both fill me with your spirit and those in this room who are your servants and who are your followers. Would you illuminate them in this text? Would you allow them to hear your voice through the words that were written here? And Father, would you help us all today to begin the process of learning more carefully how we are to live in this fallen world. Lord, may we learn from this example of Paul, and may we find our sufficiency in Jesus and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May is a graduation month. Of course, some of you in this room even graduated uh, this past weekend. Oftentimes, graduations are called commencements. And uh, you think it's kind of the end, but the word, in fact, commencement is to commence with something. It's really the beginning. And of course, May and graduation times are times for celebrating what you have learned. What you have uh, grasped, in fact, my, my daughter got home last night from her first year of college and she gave us something that showed that she had learned something. She gave us all mugs from her ceramics class. And of course, I, I kind of joked, I, all I get is a mug after paying all this for college and of course, joking facetiously. But he, she learned something, she grew in something. And of course, college and high school and all of that is really, the thrust is to increase learning so that once you're done, you can go make 
a living. Interesting enough, here in May, we're coming to the end of this letter to the Philippians. Also, I want us to look at it as a commencement. Yeah, it may be kind of the end, but I hope it's really a beginning. I hope that as we've made our way through these four chapters, that you have indeed learned something, not really how to make a living, but more importantly, how you and I are to live in reference to our heavenly citizenship. If you're here today and you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, You, indeed, are a citizen of heaven. You are awaiting that eternal kingdom, and as you anticipate it and wait for it, you and I are kind of like embassies. Our church is kind of an embassy of servants of God on earth while we're still waiting for that, you could say, arrival of that kingdom. And this book has told us how we need to live as worthy servants of God, worthy of the gospel. Of course, the letter here is written to biblical Christians, people who've come to Christ the Bible way. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Let me just say, I am so glad you're here. We're, uh, this is a great place to be as you investigate what it means to even become a follower of Jesus. But just so you know, the letter that we're studying here was written to professing believers in Christ having embraced Jesus and how they are to just continue in that faith. And I hope that you'll learn something today as we navigate this particular uh, section of verses. But in our text today, we come to a place where Paul shares what he learned in his own personal life. Just like Anna showed us a visual demonstration of what she learned This past semester, Paul here shares us something that he had learned over the course of his life. And today I want us to learn this particular truth, that it's this. All of you ought to enroll in the school of contentment. Let me invite you again to enroll in the school of contentment. And that you would seek to learn this lesson more profoundly and more deeply. Because all of us need to grow in this area. As I read the text just a few moments ago, did you guys notice that twice in the text, he repeats the same little phrase, and it's this. I have learned. I have learned. I have learned something very profoundly that is helping me continue to move forward in my life. And I hope at the end of this message, you may not have learned it all, but it would be this. So help me God, I want to learn more deeply that lesson that Paul had learned. I want you to seek to master this lesson of contentment. So how is this lesson of contentment learned? I'm going to give you three simple truths, and then we'll be done. And then at the end of our service, of course, we're going to observe the Lord's table. But the first is this. Contentment is often learned by seeing it in others. Let me repeat that. Contentment is often learned by seeing it displayed in other people's lives. 
Most of the lessons we learn, we learn from others. Today, of course, being Mother's Day, one lesson that I learned from my mom very clearly was cleaning up, particularly cleaning up after myself. And of course, I was taught that cleaning up shows love toward others. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And so I remember that continued phrase, go clean your room. I remember a particular command, go wipe your baseboards. I still, to this day, go wipe your baseboards. And of course, she would, she would use, she made this into a verb, but go 409 your doors. <laughs> 409 your doors. So 409 is a verb there. Take that chemical, wipe your doors, and I did that many times as a kid. Go out into the yard and pick up all the sticks. Okay, and even to this day, you know what? I know when there's a stick down in my yard, very quickly. And I'm out there and I am picking up sticks in my yard. My mom modeled cleaning up, and I hope I learned it. Except I don't know if I've ever at my current house 409 my doors, okay? Similarly, the Apostle Paul modeled contentment before these Philippians. In fact, our text opens with a clear display of his contentment. Here he is in prison, and notice what he says in verse 10. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So here he is. He's in a, what I believe, a Roman prison at his own expense. But what is he doing in the midst of this prison? He is rejoicing. And the only time this word greatly is used in your New Testament in this way, it's in this verse. He says, I rejoiced greatly. In a mega manner at your investment in me. Now, what initiated this, you could say, rejoicing? Well, they evidently ministered to him financially as he was in this very hard predicament. We learn later in Philippians that it was sent through Epaphroditus, who we'd learned a little bit about uh, in chapter 2. What Paul's doing here is he has his own particular way of thanking them. But notice he brings up this. He brings up this word of concern. Let me, let me read it to you again. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That word concern is a very interesting word. You say, why? Well, the word shows up all through this letter. But at times... Our translators translate it in different ways, but it's the same word. And it was the word that meant to think or to set one's mind on, to be, have the same mind or to have the same mindset. Paul, when he opened his letter to the Philippians, he says, I have this mindset toward you. And here now at the end of the letter, he says, I am rejoicing greatly that you have this same mindset and this same concern toward me. It's reciprocal. This is awesome that this is like this. In fact, this is the same term that Paul used in chapter 2 when he says this, I want you to have the same mind or the same concern 
as Christ and that you would model this. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you ought to seek to adopt this same mindset that Paul had to the Philippians and now the Philippians are having back to Paul. And so he is rejoicing greatly that he's seen this concern. In fact, uh, it says, as I mentioned to you, he's rejoicing greatly, but he's rejoicing not necessarily that he received a check from them or that he received money from them. In fact, you'll find later that really what's rejoicing in his heart was that he sees the fruit of the gospel being displayed in their life. And I know you as parents, you know, one of the things that makes you the most joyful is when you see your faith getting displayed by your children, that it's not just something that's mechanical, it's real. And I think that's what Paul was rejoicing in. In fact, he sees the gift that they gave him, and it uses the word that you have revived your concern for me. That word revived is the word for reblooming. It's a horticultural term. And the idea is like a, like a tulip that dies for a time, and then all of a sudden in the spring, it sprouts back up. He says, I rejoice that your concern for me has rebloomed again. They had evidently ministered to Paul, because we know from other books that they had helped him when he was serving early in his missionary journeys. But now after a long time, a long period, they gave back to him to help him. But he points out that it wasn't because they were purposeful, neglectful of him. It wasn't like they just said, hey, we're going to stop supporting Paul. It was because they lacked any opportunity. You say, why was that? Because Paul often lived off the grid, okay? They didn't know where he was at times because he was always kind of on the front line. I mean, you read the story of him on the shipwreck there in Malta, and he's always just moving around, and they probably wanted to support him and serve him, but it was like, where is Paul? How How do we even get any help to him? How do we even serve him? I mean, he didn't post a GoFundMe page, okay? It wasn't like, okay, I need help. This is where I'm at. In fact, we read in other texts that Paul was very reserved about receiving funds from other people. He, he wanted to be very careful that he offered the gospel free of charge. And, and so, as he's writing here, he says, I don't, I don't need the gift. I'm, I'm thankful for the gift, of course, but I'm just rejoicing that you're doing this. And so... He points this out in verse 11. He says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So here Paul is doing this. He is not groveling, you could say, for more help. You know how you, you, sometimes you get a letter from somebody and it's like they're needy, but you can just tell they want more money. And Paul's trying to be really clear. I don't need your money. You are my friend. We are partners in all of this. Why was he this way? It's because he had learned something. Did you catch that? I have learned something. And here he gives that profound lesson. He says this, that in whatever state I am, 
that I'm content. I'm okay with. What does that word content mean? It means this. It means to be satisfied with how things are. To be, in some ways, self-sufficient. Not needing anything from any other person. Having it all contained, you could say. Now, it's interesting he uses this word content. Because in that culture, okay, transport yourself from 2022 back to the first century, and in the Greco-Roman world of that day, there were great, you could say, philosophies of life. And one of the philosophies of life that was very popular were the Stoics. And the Stoics were those, they were men who prided themselves of not needing anybody's help. One of the examples of that was Cato. I don't need anyone's help. I'm good. I'm satisfied. I can live off what I have. And in some ways, it was somewhat prideful. Not Paul's. Paul's was not a self-sufficiency that was prideful and arrogant. He was saying in many ways, being content was, was, he was almost like a country that didn't need any other resources. I got it all taken care of. Um, If any of you have ever played the the board game Settlers of Catan, okay, years ago I remember getting into this with a number of my friends. You know the advantage of having all the commodities, okay, ore, brick, wheat, sheep, wood, And if you you set yourself up in a certain place on the board and you got it all there, you could kind of be sometimes if you were getting your numbers, it was like, I'm satisfied. I don't need to trade with any of you. I'm content with where I'm at and I'm going to take you all down. Okay. And that can become very prideful. Okay. Imagine a game that you didn't have to trade. Paul's was not pride. It was faith. He knew he had a teammate. And not simply a teammate, he knew he had his God. And so because he knew that, he could say, I have learned something. Paul displayed his contentment before them. And I'll tell you this, Lebanon Baptist Church, you can learn a lot about contentment from others. In fact, others even in this room. All through this letter, you remember Paul is calling them to follow him. Okay, look at me. Imitate me. What you saw in Timothy, what you saw in Jesus, what you saw in Epaphroditus, and what you see in me as I place my faith in him and I forsake all of the other righteousnesses that I have and I'm pursuing him, follow me in this. And here is another instance where Paul, you could say somewhat implicitly, somewhat behind the scenes, he's basically telling them, look what I'm doing. I am living my life In a contented manner. They learned of his satisfaction in the Lord. And I'll tell you this. One of the best ways for you and I to learn contentment is seeing and hearing people who live this way. That's why it's so important that you be connected to a church. And that's why I so much love a multi-generational church. Because those who are a little bit older in this congregation, they have been through more of the ups and downs of life and learned how to depend on God through the thick and the thin. 
At this church, we have many widows and widowers who have seen tragedy. I have parents in this room who've lost children, and, and it's like you, you've gone through many difficult valleys, and you have had to learn something. And, and with most of you, if I came to interview you personally or pulled you up here on stage and says, tell me how it went, you would say, it was a long road. But you learn it over time. And I'll tell you this, one of the ways you learn contentment is this. You get with other believers and you see them go through those trials. And you see them in the midst of it. I rejoice greatly in this particular situation. And it's profound. And you you look at it and say, the only thing that can explain that is the grace of God in that person's life. So contentment is often learned from seeing it in others. But then let's take it another step further. Contentment is also learned in the ups and downs of life. Paul now tells us how he learns this lesson over time. It did not come overnight. And in fact, it didn't come naturally. It was forged in a number of situations. Listen to verse 12. He says this, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And here's that phrase again. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I want you to notice a few things about that verse. First of all, notice that he uses the word know on a couple of occasions. So if you'd like to underline your Bible, I know this. He says, I know how to abound. I know how to be brought low. And in fact, that word know is kind of being interchanged with learn. I have learned something and now I know it. And when he says no, it's this idea of I've learned it by experience. Kind of like when I, as a, as a young man, my dad taught me how to change my oil on my 1982 Honda Prelude. And he taught, taught me how to get the, the wrench, and he not only showed me how to do it, it was a point where he demonstrated it all, and I could say, not just that I learned, but I know how to do it. Paul says, I, I have learned in all these situations, so he says... I know this, and then also notice that he keeps using the word I. He's talking about him personally. And just so you guys are aware, contentment is not learned, you could say necessarily, as a group. It's not because, okay, if Scott learns contentment, I don't just get that by osmosis, okay? I've got to learn it myself. And what Paul is saying is this, I have learned this. And you may be here today, and you may be surrounded by a lot of contented people, but this is a journey that you have to go to school on your own for. Now, do it within a community, but you've got to learn this. And that's why Paul says, I have learned. I know this. And then also in this verse, notice all the contrast. He talks about like mountains and valleys. He talks about how he was brought low. And the idea is he had some very humbling situations. A quick survey of Paul's life. Let me read to you what it says in first or second Corinthians about some of Paul's lows. Listen to this. He says this, with far greater labors for more imprisonments, With countless beatings 
and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own uh, people. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from uh, these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Had he been brought low, yes, he had experienced some of the greatest tragedies. But not only that, he says, I have learned how to abound. And the idea is, there were times that I had abundance, that I had so much going for me. In fact, at the end of the verse, it says, it contrasts, I had plenty and I had hunger. I had abundance and I had need. It's interesting, D.A. Carson, one of the commentaries I read in reference to this, he said this, the secret of contentment is not normally learned in posh or deprived circumstances, but in exposure to both. Now, some of you may be in here and say, man, I'd like to try that abounding thing. Okay, I'd like that posh thing to try that out a little bit. You said I need to experience both. I'll take the posh for a little bit. The problem is probably for almost everybody in this room, you've lived your life as a United States citizen in one of the wealthiest parts of the world. All of you have posh. You may be the the poorest person in Roswell, but let me tell you, you probably are one who in comparison to this world abounds. And if you would just think about where you're at, probably more of us haven't experienced the other side of it. We think, because of our own depravity, I want that. And you think of the richest men in the world, you think that's what it's like. But no, we are some of the richest people in the world. And what Paul says is, I have gone back and forth. I have, I have had to deal with all of this. I have learned in both of these circumstances contentment. So how? How does a person do that in all of these situations? Well, knowing that this world has fallen, that it's broken, and having that lens that you look through, it's where you also see life, whatever comes your way. So if it's posh circumstances or whether it's trial circumstances or humble circumstances, whatever comes your way, your eye is on that situation, but you also have an eye that looks above that situation on heaven. Because heavenly citizens don't just live by their circumstances on earth. Their eyes are above the heavens. As we learn in the Ecclesiastes series, those of us who live under the sun have to see above the sun. And, and, and Paul did this. 
And basically, it's where you see the God who is sovereign over all the events of your life. And he's using, in fact, everything that comes your way. Everything. Good and bad, he's using it for your good. Because you know Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. It's where you see it as such, and you take each situation Whether it's a sickness, whether it's an illness, whether it's a death of a loved one, whether it's a promotion, everything that comes is all from the hand of God. Now, did Paul have a hard time at times? No doubt. He's human. Three times stone? I mean, how many times do all the rods? How many times do I have to spend in the deep, Lord? And I'll tell you this, it's human to sometimes deal with, why this? Why this? But as you're dealing with the laments in your life, you do need to have that eye of faith that sees above the sun. Thankfully, Paul also had an example to follow. Who was that example? It was Jesus. Now, did Jesus have posh circumstances? He being equal with God, Philippians 2 says. Being in the form of God, having all the beautiful ability, being infinite in all these ways. He had it all. He abounded. But what did did he also do? He was made in the likeness of sinful men, and he was born and placed in a manger. And he lived in Nazareth. And he lived as a carpenter's son. He knew how to abound and he knew how to be humble. And in all those situations, you know what he did? He had a hot, an eye to heaven. He knew God's timing. He knew, you know what? It's not my time yet. My time has not yet come. I submit to my father. He's in charge of all this. And I'll tell you this, you have a God who modeled contentment. Isn't it great that you may not have a guy in church or a girl in church that you can look at, but all of us have Jesus we can look at, who did all this and displayed his contentment and ultimately went to the cross for you and me. So the key in all this is to have that heavenly citizenship in mind, knowing that God is working all things out. Yes, there will be ups and downs. So the question is, where are you at right now? Are you in the abounding stage? Are you in the humble stage? Are you content here on May 8th, 2022? Or are you, you got something out with God? Have your circumstances got you running from him? Let me tell you, all of you are in school right now. You may think you graduated in 1975, but let me tell you, all of you are still enrolled in this program. Are you failing? I mean, if God was to give you a grade right now when it comes to contentment with where you're at, I mean, where are you at? Are you just a dropout? Where are you at? Are you bitter at him? Thankfully, Paul doesn't simply display contentment. He also now gives us the secret to it. And that's my final point, and it's this. Contentment 
has a secret formula. And I've already been alluding to this. And you know what that secret formula is? It's the Lord. The Lord. It's Jesus. And if you got Jesus, you got it. You got him. You say, where do you see this, Pastor Brian? Well, we all like knowing the secret ingredient, don't we? We all like knowing the password. I'm one of those guys who loves to find the promo code. If I'm having to buy something online, I'm the guy who spends the extra 20 minutes looking for the promo code. Because I want the secret. I want to save some money. Maybe that's me and my uh, love of money, okay? You want to know the secret. You want to know the promo code. How do I get this contentment? Because I want it. I want to be the guy who greatly rejoices. How do you do it? Well, isn't it interesting that he basically says there's a secret to this. You say, what's the secret? Look what he says at the end of verse 12. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You say, where is that secret? Now, just so you know, the word secret is a word that was used during Paul's day for kind of the secret initiation or rites into a mystery religion. Okay, I remember when I was in high school, we had these particular clubs called societies. And if you were to join one of them, you had to go through the initiation rites. And I remember we had a particular group that was called the Mohicans. And if you wanted to join the Mohicans, you had to go through the initiation rites that in order to become and learn the secret of being a Mohican. Okay. And I remember we, we taped the whole word Mohican on this carpet floor. And we made the guys with their nose push a coin all the way through uh, the whole word Mohicans. And everyone knew who joined the Mohicans that year is because all the guys who joined had this carpet burn on their chin because they had learned the secret right to becoming a Mohican. Now, to become contented, you're not going to have to push a coin through a word. But there is someone who is the secret to contentment. And it's a person. And it's found in verse 13. Look what he says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did you know that contentment is found in your union with Christ? Some of you would say, Pastor Brian, you mean I already got the secret Let me tell you, when you were united with Christ by faith, you found the secret. You may not be accessing what you've got in him in the gospel. In fact, imagine you had a bank account that you didn't know about. Maybe it was a Swiss bank account that had like a hundred million dollars in it. And you learned about it when you were like 10, but you forgot about it. You know what? Some of you, when you got Jesus, you got more than a bank account that has a bunch of money. You got everything. The Bible says, for in him, all the fullness dwells and you are filled in him. And because of Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's in your union with Christ. There is one who provides your strength. In fact, it's hinted at at the beginning of our text. In verse 10, you remember in verse 10, he said this, I rejoiced greatly, but there's a little phrase with that. What does he say? I rejoiced what? 
in the Lord. His secret was he knew the Lord. He knew the Lord and he found his strength in him. This is the theme of the book, and Paul explicitly gives the secret. In fact, the verse, verse 13, okay, many of you know that the Bible was originally written, the New Testament, in Greek. And in Greek, what happens is when, when you write a Greek verse, it's a little bit different from English, in which what you can do in Greek is if you decide you want to emphasize something, you can move the words around as you're writing it. It's, it's like this. I could say, I really love ice cream. But if I wanted to emphasize ice cream, I could write it this way. Ice cream, I love. And I put what at the beginning? Because I want to emphasize it. I put ice cream there. And in the Greek, what it basically says is this. All things, all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. What does that mean? Now, first of all, let me tell you what it does not mean. It's not a promise that you can do whatever you want to because you have Jesus. Okay? I think, Mark, did you post that little thing on social media that says this? I can do all things by taking a verse out of context. Okay? You say, what does this verse mean? Well, I remember uh, Les Ola preaching on this text. Many of you are familiar with Les. And Les told of a meeting. Uh, he, he had met the boxer Evander Holyfield. He had gone to a basketball game one night. And he saw Evander Holyfield at the, at the basketball game. And so they go down to get his autograph. And when he signs his autograph, he signs his autograph, but then he writes on it, Philippians 4, 13. It was like, man, I can knock a guy out in Jesus' name. I mean, I can do all things. I can even take a person out. It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want. I can accomplish anything. This doesn't mean that if you do this, I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30 and have a net worth, and I can do all things through what? Christ. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that, hey, I want to win the javelin in the Olympics. And because I have Jesus, I'm going to win the javelin in the next Summer Olympics. And guess why? I got that verse. I can do all things. And that includes, okay, all things includes me winning the javelin. That's not what this promise is saying. You got to look at the context. And the context means this. Paul is saying, I can live through all the ups and downs of life with contentment because of the one who gives me strength. Now, who is that one who gives you strength? Now, just as a side note, some of you may notice, I mean, I'm preaching from the ESV. Some of you may notice that some modern translations don't have Jesus' name there. Like, if you remember, like, I memorized this first initially in the King James Version, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, some people, some people uh, 
accuse modern translations of corruption. Like, they took out Jesus from the Bible. You say, why does this modern translation not have Christ's name there? Well, the reason is because, in fact, in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, Christ's name is not there. It was possibly added years later in some of the later manuscripts by scribes to clarify. Okay, by, yeah, we all know who it refers to because the whole text is talking about who? Jesus. It's the Lord. And what he's saying here is this, I can do all things. I can live through all the different seasons of life with contentment. Why? Because I have one who is continually empowering me to do that. And who is that? That is Jesus. And it is the secret of contentment is knowing and walking and living a life continually with Jesus in your focus. That's why he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Look to him. Bring him into the equations of all that you're dealing with. The secret of contentment is knowing and walking with Jesus, meditating on the gospel, living with that perspective in your life. And I'll tell you this, when you do that, it's almost like you get to exchange strengths with somebody. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 40 where it says this, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Do we? Yes. Then it says this, it says his understanding is unsearchable. Is your understanding unsearchable? Uh Uh-uh. His is, his strength is unlimited. And look what it says. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, here I am, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait on the what? The Lord. And I love what this next word, shall renew strengths. The word renew there means this. You get to exchange strengths with somebody. And guess who you get to exchange strengths with? The Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall exchange strengths. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So you're here today and you're like, how do I learn this lesson? How do I do this? How do I get this secret formula? Your first important thing that you must do is you have got to become a follower of Jesus. If you are not sure who he is and what he's done, you better investigate him. Look at the historical record. Look at those ancient documents of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Examine them themselves and answer the question, what think ye of Christ? And come to a right conclusion, and when you find out who he is, and he is the God-man, and you see that he conquered death, and he is working all things out to his, their final end, you realize that I don't care what goes on, I got him. And it doesn't matter the ups and downs of life. You know what? Your contentment is something that you learn as you walk with him, and as you get to know him better, and you live your life in accordance with 
that relationship. Learn to rejoice in the Lord. This is how citizens of heaven are to live. You know, often as a pastor, I get asked for counsel from people about furthering their education. Like, do I go back to school? I mean, dropped out of high school or dropped out of college or if I finished college and I'm wondering about going to get an extended degree, is this the right time to do this? And they're asking me about just counsel in reference to continuing their education. Today, let me tell all of you that every one of you needs to further your education in this area. Every one of you. You need to learn more deeply and more carefully. And guess what? All of you have that instructor who lives inside of you. And he wants to teach you it if you will go to him and grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We all need a degree in contentment, don't we? And that's why let me encourage all of you to enroll and the school of contentment. No dropouts here, okay? We can't have any dropouts. Maybe you have or you think you have. And let me tell you, the good thing is you can repent today. You know, it's so easy to run from God for years and years and years. But you know what? You can be right with God today. Today. And you can go, and the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So re-enroll, ask Jesus to instruct you, get a model, maybe get a a real-life model here in the church and say, hey, help me with this. I need to learn this. I need to know this better. And then, of course, come unto me, Jesus said, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.